I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in Tuesday edition, primary day in New Hampshire. Go vote New Hampshireites. Donald Trump versus Nikki Haley head-to-head. The final Suffolk poll dropped a few hours ago. It had Trump up 60 to 38. Also, a story worth paying attention to. They are having to write in Joe Biden's name in the Democrat primary because Biden is not on the, uh, the, uh, uh, on the ballot because he refused to allow New Hampshire to vote before South Carolina. So his name is not on there. They are asking people to write it in. Could be interesting to compare how Nikki Haley does compared to Dean Phillips. Is there going to be a substantial number of Democrats that will come out and say, we're not supporting Joe Biden. We are supporting this Minnesota congressman that many of you I don't know anything about, and frankly, that many Democrats don't know anything about, because for the most part, there has been a decision not to cover this as a contested primary by MSNBC and CNN and their ilk. But all of you go vote New Hampshireites. There doesn't seem to be any real uh, concern that Nikki Haley is going to win. So we will have this discussion tomorrow in earnest, I believe, but I think we can all basically start it today in many respects, and that is this question. What does Nikki Haley need to do tonight, Buck, in your mind, for her to be justified in continuing the primary race against Donald Trump into her home state of South Carolina? Now, the Haley camp today is putting out uh, all sorts of uh, statements saying, and it's not really a surprise because you try to look confident in advance of an election, saying that they plan on challenging Donald Trump all the way through Super Tuesday, which would not occur until March 5th. That would mean that we've got, whatever the math is there, about six weeks of ongoing 
primary process that the Haley campaign believes should go on before she acknowledges that Trump is going to be the nominee, again, through Super Tuesday. That would include her home state of South Carolina in a month. I think that's very hard to argue if she loses by 15 or 20 points in New Hampshire because New Hampshire, Buck, is far more favorable terrain to Nikki Haley than South Carolina is going to be or a place like my home state of Tennessee is going to be or Texas is going to be. What does Nikki Haley need to do in your mind, Buck, for this not to be over tonight? So you know how there are uh, maxims that people say, um, and then there are some that are untrue, right? That people say it, but it's really not the case. One of the ones that always comes to mind for me is there's no such thing as bad uh, publicity. That is a lie. (laughs) There's definitely such a thing as bad publicity. The general sentiment I can understand, uh, and it's often applicable, but there are some very, very big exceptions to that. I bring it up, Clay, because for Nikki Haley, the question is, what is the value to her? She's not going to win the presidency, okay? I mean, unless, you know, we could wake up tomorrow and we could be in the beginning of an ice age. Like, I can't tell you what's going to happen in the future definitively, but you and I both know she's not going to win the presidency. Short of health for Trump issue or the Supreme Court going even more rogue than they did, uh, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, with their ruling against Texas uh, later in the show. But Uh, short of pure chaos. So fired up about that last night when that came down. We're going to dive into that border issue. Um, lawlessness now is what the law demands. That's that's the real shorthand of what's going on at our border. But, okay, but back to Nikki Haley. I bring it up, Clay, because it's all about what is best for her. She's a very, very ambitious person. All these politicians are. I'm not singling her out, but she's somebody who has longer time in the game than, say, Trump or Biden or Bernie Sanders. So she's got to think about the overall horizon. Um, and I think that for her, if she goes and gets gets absolutely crushed in her home state of South Carolina, I, I think that's really brand damaging. Um, so that's what I mean by there's no such uh, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Losing your home state when you're the popular governor of South Carolina in a primary, that would be bad publicity. I think New Hampshire is playing with house money. I think New Hampshire for her is if she's close, it looks good. If she gets blown out, nobody remembers New Hampshire anyway. So for me, the much bigger question remains, does she really want to see what ends up happening in her home state of South Carolina? Because in New Hampshire, I think you and I would both wager at this point that she's going to lose by more than double digits. She'll probably lose by 15 points or something. I mean, she's going to get smoked, as you say. I like it. Yes. I like that term. Yes. She will get smoked. Um, and... Then you're left with what's the purpose of Nikki Haley staying in for Nikki Haley? Because that's really what matters. Will the donors be able to bully her or, or delude her into thinking that there's more of a long-term possibility for her? Maybe. But, I mean, this for, she's in New Hampshire. It's today. The voting's going on. She's going to lose. Do you think she stays through to South Carolina? For me, that's the much bigger question. Does she stay through to her home state? Because I so think that could be a bad look. Let me contextualize this for everybody. You guys out there listening know that I like to go look at the offshore gambling markets just to get a sense on, hey, like, what is the expectation out there? If Nikki Haley were to win in New Hampshire, it would be the equivalent, according to these markets, basically, of Trump pulling off the 2016 upset over Hillary Clinton. Upsets happen. They are very rare. 
And for the most part, all of the polling has been correct so far on, uh, the, uh, on the primary season. Iowa, everything that we saw dead on so far, Trump pulling away up 15 or 20 points. So let's contextualize that. That means uh, that's the way that I think about it. If I were in Nikki Haley's camp right now, I think that she needs to lose by single digits in order to argue that she could go on to South Carolina. So in other words, I think it needs to be like, you know, 50 Seven points. Yeah, yeah, 54 for Trump, 46 for Nikki Haley, something like that. Obviously some people will still vote. I don't the ballot maybe still have Chris Christie and Ron DeSantis will get some small percentage. Some people will still go vote for them. Um but uh but yeah, I think she needs to lose by less than by under 10. You know, 10 to 15 I think is pushing it maybe. Anything over 15, she has no to me no justification whatsoever to continue. And really the question will then become buck the same thing that we asked about Ron DeSantis. Nikki Haley went all in on New Hampshire like Ron DeSantis went all in on Iowa. If you go all in on a state and you lose by 15 or 20, it's not ever getting better than that for you. I I also think that that this maybe is a, a point where we can step back and look at this all in on a state strategy. I think that and maybe somebody could show me the data that would prove this to be wrong. You know what we see in a lot of previous presidential election, elections? Somebody winning one of these early states and then not winning the overall election. I feel like this, this tunnel vision, look, it clearly did not serve. And this is not a, you know, we're not in the knocking Ron DeSantis game here. Great governor. Trump says he's welcome on the Trump train. And, and we've been all along, I think, very fair to the fact that Ron is, uh, is a great conservative leader and has a very bright future. Um, but the all in on Iowa strategy, which was a, Really, a repeat of Ted Cruz's 2016 all-in on Iowa strategy was a disaster. I mean, it really couldn't have failed more than it did. And Nikki Haley going all-in on New Hampshire. But what I'm saying is, this this has happened time and time again now, where it's, oh, we're going to show everybody. No, I think you have to run an election campaign where you're telling the whole country, or you know, the the members of your party across the country. I'm the I'm the guy, I'm the gal, not we're going to win in this one place and then everyone's going to change their minds. Yeah, I think a lot of times that's a function of not having enough money to compete anywhere else. So you just say, hey, we've got $15 million. We're going to put all our chips in the table on Iowa and hope. But, but this has failed over and over. I mean, this, that, that strategy I, I think, has failed repeatedly. I think what it shows is a lot of people don't have very high probability chances and are just basically throwing it onto the roulette wheel. Um the other thing I would say is Nikki Haley's done if she can't get within 15 or 20. And I'll use a sports analogy for you. If anybody out there's ever sprinted, um, you can it's do been, your it's best. It's been a while. It's been yeah. a while. <laughs> I, you know, I wrote a book about training for the NFL draft like 15 years ago, Buck, and the 40 is a huge deal. The 40-yard draft, uh, what what you run the 40 Did in. Did you time your, for, your 40? Oh, yeah, yeah. What was your best 40 time? 5-5, five, five, I think. <laughs> If That's you like can, Tom Brady people, level, Tom people, Brady's a handsome yeah. man. He runs a five-five. People are laughing out there at that. A lot of people think that they can break a five-zero-forty. I think we've mentioned this maybe on the program. I know I did on the old Outkick show. If you can break a five-zero-forty, you are super fast. People will see a guy run like a five-four-seven or four-eight, and they think he's slow. 
that guy would dust you in a race. But what you learn is 40 yards is not that far. Now, it's farther than most people sprint, right? So that's a challenge, too. For Most people have not sprinted 40 yards in a very long time, uh, especially once you're outside I mean, of you know high school My hamstrings sports. hurt just thinking about it. But yes. yes. Um, so, but the, the thing you learn is you could only run a 40 hard about two times. Whatever your, and that's why they run you twice. Whatever your time is on those first two is going to be better than your time on the third and the fourth and the fifth. And I think about that a little bit in the context of these primaries. Nikki Haley has run her 40 in New Hampshire. She has put her best foot forward. She's placed whatever her best time is. And I think she's going to lose by 15 or 20. Every other state that she's going into now is going to be less efficient and effective than the 40 that she's already run, which means I expect tonight for this to be over and for Nikki Haley to have to make a rational decision and we'll see whether she will or not. I think she's, I think she's going to drop before South Carolina because I think that losing in South Carolina, look, Ron DeSantis didn't want to stay in to see what's going on in Florida and he's a, he, Ron is a smart guy. Uh, you know, he sees what's going on. And that's a good move. Now he gets to go back and be the king of Florida, so to speak, as the governor. And and people here are very happy to have him. I'm very happy to have him focusing on being a phenomenal governor. Um, without the, you know, you lose in Iowa, it's okay. Everyone's going to forget who even did what in Iowa in three, three months, six months. You lose in your home state, I think that one stings. I think that stays with you. So my my belief is that Nikki Haley, assuming you are correct, and I agree with you, I think she's going to get blown out tonight. I do not think she stays in for another month until the South Carolina primary happens because um that that I think is brand damaging. That is bad publicity for Nikki Haley. But can I ask you a question that we can we can address when we yeah, come yeah. back here in a second on all this? Is the we saw what just happened with Vivek and Vivek is now doing campaign events with Trump, right? Yes. So it went from Vivek is a fake and he's not MAGA on I don't even know, a few days ago. The day before, even, the, literally the day, the day before, before Iowa, the Iowa right. caucuses. So a week, a, a week ago to now Vivek is doing campaign stops and people are saying maybe he's going to be Trump's VP. Okay. Is the ant, don't answer me, but let's think about this one, everybody. Clay will t- t- tear into this when we come back. Is the Nikki Haley animosity of MAGA and, and Trump specifically, is it real or is it just another show for the primary? Meaning, is she not welcome back in Trump land after this whole thing, or is she going to be welcomed right back in? I, I let's let's think about it because I'm I think there's a case to be made in both directions. The one may be stronger than the other. Uh, let us know what you think, by the way, about this Nikki Haley New Hampshire primary showdown tonight. Especially, we got some great Granite Staters, Clay, who listen yes. to this and who are probably well familiar with the fact that Mount Washington is formerly the world record holder for the fastest wind speed of all time, over 220 miles an hour. Pretty amazing. Um, but let's talk about Tunnel to Towers for a moment here. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation made a promise to ensure we never forget. Since then, it has been committed to supporting America's heroes and their families. Heroes like U.S. Army Specialist Mike, Michael Hook, who lost his life in Iraq when his helicopter was shot down. He had enlisted in the military after graduating high school. He left behind a pregnant fiancé, who gave birth to a son that he would never meet. But thanks to the generosity of friends like you, Tonta Towers paid off the mortgage on his family's home, relieving a financial burden and bringing stability. The foundation helps Gold Star and fallen first responder families, as well as our nation's most severely injured heroes and homeless veterans. Tonta Towers is on a mission to do good. 
America's heroes are counting on you. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to its programs. Join us today in donating $11 a month to Tunnel the Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. The voices of sanity in an insane world. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Welcome in second hour of Clay and Buck. Let's talk about the razor wire removal at the border. This is what we know. Uh, the Supreme Court has come down with a 5-4, uh, a 5-4 decision on whether the Biden administration has the right to actively remove via border patrol uh this concertina or or razor wire i believe i believe barbed wire started with cattle ranchers in the american uh west and then made its way to the uh front in world war 1 and then it became much more uh, widespread and obviously razor wire is a a form of barbed wire anyway um, but they've been putting this barbed wire in a few places on the soil of the state of Texas. Yes, it's obviously also U.S. U.S. land, uh, but it is Texas soil. And they're putting this uh, razor wire down so that migrants will stop rushing through in these areas. And this is meant to make it easier for um border patrol to do their jobs and texas national guard to assist in this process i would be interested to see how both sides would would play out in these legal arguments i mean there's a few points to the razor wire side of the equation or the pro pro razor wire i don't know how else we say this i mean the state of texas effectively uh attorney general paxton and governor abbott uh, we reached out to governor abbott he's abroad right now but he'll uh we'll be talking to him hopefully next week about this uh there, there are a few things. One is there's an argument that Texas has, as a state, sovereign right to put up barbed wire on Texas soil, and this shouldn't be something, you know, they have police powers, and if they want to put barbed wire on one side of the Rio Grande, they should be able to put barbed wire on one side of the Rio Grande. Um, that's part of the argument. Another part of the argument is that the uh, Biden, I was going to say Obama administration, whoops, that's a, that's a slip, uh, the Mac, Biden some would say that's yeah, accurate. I know. Yeah. The Biden administration, um, has neglected its duties effectively as engaging in nullification of federal immigration law and therefore created an emergency situation akin to an invasion, which under constitutional authority, a state can respond to with, you know, effectively, sorry guys, this is an emergency, you know, we're not waiting for the federal government if all of a sudden North Korea invades Oregon. Oregon's allowed to fight back and do what it can and use the National Guard. They don't have to say, wait, where's my congressional authorization for war? Different, obviously. You're talking about people migrating, not an invasion of you know North Korean tanks, but you get the idea. That's part of this as well. But, Clay, the, the area where I think this gets re- – first of all, the politics of this – look terrible for the Biden administration in election year. So I think it's a political loser for them because they want to make it easier. It's not they're having Border Patrol cut the wire and remove the wire. It's not even like they're saying, well, we don't want to do this or we're not. They're they're actively withdrawing or, or uh, you know removing these barbed wire areas. And beyond that, the justification the Biden administration's had is this has made its way up through, you know, court, uh, federal court, appeals court is that this interferes with border patrols right to do their to do their job 
So part of their explanation for this, the Biden administration explanation is, well, we can't process migrants in these areas the way we want to because of the razor wire. I think they're making arguments there in clearly bad faith, and they just want the wide open border to continue and everybody, everybody sees it. All right. I'm going to be, I'm going to put my lawyer hat on here and I'm going to sound like a super nerd. And I would just ask lawyers that are out there listening, particularly if you have had immigration law experience, tell me whether or not you agree with this 800-282-2882. So we don't have a written opinion really, right? So this is just a five to four decision involving a fifth circuit issue, sending it back. Ultimately, lawyers try to distill every case into a single sentence, Buck. This is one of the things you learn in law school. What's the question of the case? And to me, the ultimate question here, and I'm, I'm answering this as if I'm Amy Coney Barrett, who I believe was a law professor at Notre Dame, and this is one of the ways that you would instruct young lawyers. The first most uh, basic principle here that I think has to be asked is, who is the decider? In a dispute between the federal government and a state government over a border security immigration related issue, who is the decider? Is it the state of Texas and their chief executive, Governor Greg Abbott, or by the way, who also went to Vanderbilt Law School with me? And I'd be curious just to have like an actual legal discussion with him on this because he has super smart lawyers advising him too. Or is it the United States with their chief executive, Joe Biden as president, right? I think what Amy Coney Barrett here is deciding is this is a federal government issue and the opinion of the president and the executive branch overrides the opinion of the state executive because federal power trumps state power when it comes to this particular issue of immigration law. Okay, so that is what I think she is doing in general. And I think what she would say, again, I'm trying to answer, because not a written opinion, I think what Amy Coney Barrett would say from a presidential level is, That means the president basically has supreme authority on border security-related issues. And so if Donald Trump is in office, he's going to immediately get sued, Buck, for every decision that he makes. You know this. I know this. You're going to try to build a wall. There's going to be every lawsuit known to man that can be filed. What Amy Comey Barrett is saying here is, I am going to defer to the chief executive of the United States government, the president, to make decisions as it pertains to immigration law. His power is the supreme. He is the decider. Now, if you have an issue with that, and I would love to have her on. She would never come on. But again, as a law professor to walk you through it, I think she would say, if you have an issue with the decisions that are being made by the chief executive of the United States, you should hold him accountable. And the way that you would hold him accountable is by impeaching him for failing to apply the law. A couple things. One is... The the contention of the Biden White House is that putting up this putting up this razor wire makes their job harder, which is crazy. <laughs> like this is so so. There's on the one hand, it's there's there's a bad now. You could say it's well, a that's dispute the, that's over the dis- what the job is, right? That's and and that's why it's ultimately the question to me is who is the decider as to what the job is, right? But I mean, it's it's a it's a function of. Can you tell the state of Texas, like what, what else can you st- tell the state of Texas without trampling on the state's rights here, right? I mean, this can, is why we tell, had a civil war. I mean, right, honestly, I mean, can, can yeah. you tell them, oh, you know what? You actually have to give us, you know, 10 miles of land near the border for entry. It's like, well, is that, is that congressional statute or is that just the executive branch? So it, this, I, I don't think it's, yeah, 
there's a reason. So what I was going to say to you is, I mean, there's a reason. This is a 5-4, right? If this was 9-0, yeah. we'd feel very differently. I think Alito and I think Thomas and I think, um, uh, uh, gosh, I'm, what's the guy from the blonde hair? What's his name? Kavanaugh. Alito, no, not Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh I, I was thinking of the other guy. Gorsuch. Gorsuch, thank you. Gorsuch, Neil Gorsuch. Um, what they would say about this, I think, is that this is, uh, you know, th- that this isn't a specifically, like putting razor wire down in Texas is not a specifically federal issue. The state of Texas can do this wherever it wants to in the state of Texas. You know, it'd be one thing if they were saying, oh, we're going to take people and unilaterally deport them all on behalf of the United States government, as, as great as that may sound to some people. Like, that's clearly abrogating a federal a federal prerogative, I think. But to put down razor wire on your side of the river, it's like, well, the state of Texas gets to make determinations about things like that all the time. So that's, I mean, you know, wh- wh- like, why do you think Alito would have said you can't cut the wire? Why did Alito say you can't cut the wire? We don't have written opinions. No, right? I know. That's what I'm, I'm yeah. saying. So you, know, you, you did I'm, the Amy, Amy Coney you, Barrett. Did, do the Alito. I'm telling you what I th- think the Alito explanation would be. Uh, I think the Alito explanation would be that this it does not directly infringe on the federal government's ability to implement the uh, immigration policy of its choice and that Texas has the right to uh, protect its sovereignty and soil from a foreign invader i think that's oh i mean yes i yeah. agree i think i, I think i think that would think be his argument succinctly argument. put i think that's a compelling argument I, now, I know what, it's five four but i mean to me you sit here and you say the whole because this is why interfering is the whole because texas can put a you know if texas wants to build a wall in texas texas can build a wall in texas right there has to be something now you when you get to the actual border itself now you're, I, I, I forget even how this, but there's like, it is federal I, is, territory, right? I, again, by I the way, the question the guy asked before, I didn't mean to be dismissive of it. He does have a point when he said, how far inland can they make these determinations? This is, has to be, this has been litigated before where you had border stops effectively that were a hundred miles from the border. And yeah. people were like, well, hold on a second. How, how are you doing border stops a hundred miles from the border? Right. So. And, and what's fascinating about this too, Buck, is, I mean, one, if you're a history nerd like I am, you go all the way back to the nullification controversy, right? During South Carolina pre-Civil War, basically said we can nullify, uh, laws that the federal government passes that we as South Carolinians do not support. And then, and again, this is a, being very legal nerd, but a lot of people don't realize this. The southern states, when they seceded, Jefferson Davis hoped that he was going to be arrested for seceding as a, for like he hoped that it was going to go before the Supreme Court because his belief and the belief of many Southern states in the 1860 uh, time frame when they withdrew, when they seceded, was that every individual state had the constitutional right to withdraw from the United States government. And, and subsequent to the Civil War, that's been taken away. But coming out I mean, of the Dred Scott decision and all these other it, it things. It is interesting, like, isn't it? I mean, we thought we had a God-given right to secede from Great Britain. So you get into some deep philosophical stuff here. No, the look, British were not happy. We, they thought we were their people. Correct. And the people who were in the South, many of them, said, to your point, historically, we are doing the same thing to the United States that the United States did to Great Britain. That is, when you believe that the government no longer represents you, 
you are not bound and determined and obligated to remain a member of the union. And so each of these southern states voted, the people of those states voted to secede and join the Confederate states. And Abraham Lincoln said, no, you cannot do that, and invaded, and we had the war over whether or not that was allowed. And now it has been determined that you cannot secede. So this is, to me, a natural outgrowth of the battle of states' rights, right, which we have continued to fight for some time uh, over what does the state have the obligation and ability to do, and 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 ultimately this comes down to who has the decision. Well, um, this is, uh, you know, you brought up nullification, and, and I, I think that what the American people are seeing is that the Biden administration's policy at our southern border is de facto nullification of congressionally passed statutes on immigration. Which that is, is why what is going I think on. He, Joe Biden should be impeached based on what's going on at the southern border. I mean, I, I, like, I, but I kind it, of agree. I just feel like, you know, we're going to impeach him. He's not going to get removed. And that's it's the, be this, that's the, that's you, know, you create the truth. a martyr out of him. You know, the politics that, that's of the it truth. Are what And I understand me. you can take that political step. I mean, the impeachment has become just sort of a de facto, uh, you know, sort of like stamp of disapproval. Because you're not going to get 67 votes in the Senate to remove anybody. Here's what's really different and I think very important right now about the immigration debate and why this is really becoming a problem for Democrats. And they know it. That's why they're trying to do this Senate And bill by the way, I think this ruling is bad for them, too. Yes. Like, oh, absolutely. It for, look, Texas is playing a brilliant hand here. They're trying to secure the border. And if they're not allowed to secure the border, it's very obvious it's because the Biden administration is saying... Hey, Texas, you can't secure the border, right? So there, there's no win here for it's the Biden team. It's hard for team. them to argue that Republicans are to blame for border lack of security when Greg Abbott is trying to shut down the border and Biden is going to the Supreme Court to keep it open. Yeah, and and I would just say the, the big difference right now and in this year about how this is going to play out is that because of the migrants, the illegals, in all these cities that are living on the streets, that are breaking city budgets, that are overwhelming emergency rooms and schools and everything else, people see this problem now in a way that they know it is their problem. I think for a lot of people before, illegal immigration was a theoretical issue for them. But doesn't matter where you live, when you see the financial impact of illegal immigrants in major cities, you understand that this has a national impact and is going to affect the future of the country. It's going to affect goods and services that are given to us by the, you know, or for services rather and, and the, the welfare state of the government. So it's a big problem for them. They can't just make this problem go away. 800-282-2882. What do you think about what Texas is doing? If you have some legal analysis for us or some of the lawyers out there, let us know, uh, what you think. And if you're a podcast listener, and you like history, you'll want to check out this podcast, Our American Stories. Each day, Our American Stories tells the stories about men and women who built this country and continue to do so. Today's episode features the man behind the movie classics like Braveheart, We Were Soldiers, Pearl Harbor. Wow, Braveheart, that's like my favorite movie, and others. Another episode tells the story of how Star Wars toys revolutionized movie merchandising, licensing, and even how children play. Each episode of Our American Stories is unique, interesting, and you'll learn something new. The team producing our American stories looks for the best examples of who we are as a nation and creatively puts them together. Get our American stories on the free iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. That's our American stories. From the front lines of freedom and truth. 
Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. All right, everybody, welcome back. Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee is with us now. Senator Blackburn, thanks for calling in. Good to talk to you as always. Good talking to you. Thank you so much. We do want to ask you about what's going on with the New Hampshire primary, but if we can first, just want to get your reaction to this 5-4 Supreme Court decision that the Biden administration has the right to remove razor wire from the border and thus make it easier for illegals and for fentanyl and drug dealers and all the rest of it to get into the country. It was disappointing to see this decision out of the Supreme Court yesterday. I understand that there will be another review of a case. And, of course, we know constitutionally if, a, if the federal government does not fulfill its obligation to defend the states, the state has the right to defend themselves. And that is the, the, the action Texas was taking, defending themselves against an invasion. So it's going to be interesting to see when they take a second bite at this apple what direction that they're going to, to travel. But I think most people agree that Texas is there to defend their border. They are there to defend the private property of ranchers and farmers that live along that border. And you're going to see them continue to push to secure that area and secure their their communities. We've all heard about what has happened there in the Rio Grande Valley, what has happened to Eagle Pass and uh, we've heard these stories from citizens that live there that have demanded that the state step up and help them to protect themselves. Senator Blackburn with us now. Marsha, appreciate you coming on. Um, tonight, obviously, we will get the results in New Hampshire. Trump is a big favorite to win there, as he did in Iowa as well. Presuming that Trump wins there, I bet you know Nikki Haley at least a little bit over the years. I'm sure you guys have crossed paths. Do you think she should end her campaign if she loses in New Hampshire tonight? Do you think she will? Yeah. Clay, I think it is so important for her to end her campaign, and I do know her, and I know that she is a hard worker, and she has served her state and her country in times past and has done it well. I think that the voters have spoken, and whether you're looking at the resounding victory, historic win in Iowa, or what is going to be a historic win in New Hampshire, and the polling that is coming out, out of states, uh, South Carolina, the Super Tuesday states. President Donald Trump is going to be the party's nominee. It is time for us to unite this party. It is time for us to stand with President Trump. It is time for us to put all of our efforts into a general election effort to make certain that he wins, to make certain that we take the Senate, that we keep the House, that we do well in our state-based elections for governor, for state house, for state senate. And Republicans need to put their attention on that. And any time, any dollar that we spend on these primary races is time and money that we don't have to put into winning in November. And winning in November 
having President Trump in the White House, making certain we get this country back on track, that is where we need to spend our time. Speaking to Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, Senator Clay and I uh, frequently speak about what now it seems Donald Trump, previously the Republican nominee, whoever it was, but it seems it will in fact be Trump, um, what he'll be facing on the other side of the uh, political spectrum here. I mean, who's going to be the Democrat candidate? What do you think their plan is going to be with Biden trailing so badly already in these polls? I mean, how do you see them trying to make up that gap? And what we know is that the Biden camp has said that he will be the nominee and he he is running for re-election. And they don't seem to have a plan or a recognition of how poorly he is doing in the polls. And when you look at how his popularity has continued to drop since he was sworn in, that was his high water mark. And he is not going to win this. And there again, this is one of those reasons, the fact that the Democrats are not realistic about this. They're not realistic about where the American people in are on these issues. And you look at the polling, and where are independents moving? They are moving to President Trump. And the reason they're doing that is because they remember what the economy was like, what our our border security was like under President Trump. They remember that our enemies feared us and that our allies knew that they were an ally. All of these things are weighing on their minds as they look at what is going to happen in 2024. So I think there's time for people to get on Team Trump. It's time for people to realize it's the Democrats. I just kind of have their head in the sand. That's that's fine. Uh, Biden hasn't worked for them the way they thought it was going to work. People are not buying their message. We have an opportunity to put this country on the right track, and I think we should take it. If Donald Trump came to you, Senator Blackburn, I know you're up for re-election, um, and uh, you are obviously going to win comfortably. I'm not even sure what nut case is going to be running against you here in Tennessee, but I look forward to voting for you in the primary in March and then in the general in November. But if Donald Trump came to you, and I've seen your name somewhat uh, bandied about as a VP candidate, um, if he asked you who you would suggest he should be looking at as VP, who would you tell him? And, you know, I will first say uh, my reelection effort. Thanks for mentioning that, MarshaBlackburn.com. That's where your listeners will find me and can support my work. And I would encourage and, all uh, of you to go donate to Marsha. She's doing a great job <laughs> as my senator uh, and as many of your senators in Tennessee, but also doing a good job advocating for sanity. Uh, I was excited to vote for you in 18. Uh, when you had a tough race, I know this race is not going to be yeah. particularly tough, but money still matters. Uh, so yeah, I'd encourage you to go do, yeah. uh, what um, you can at marshablackburn.com. Sorry to cut you off, but I'll give you my endorsement yeah, there. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And of course, I, I think that, uh, what we need to do 
is everybody say, President Trump, you tell me what I need to do to help you win, and I'm going to do it. That's what I'm doing. I'm saying I am here. I am fully supportive. We want to make certain that you win this race. And when it comes to someone who would serve as his vice president, I want him to make the decision of the person that he thinks is going to stand there and help him every step of the way to accomplish what he wants to accomplish because we've got a long to-do list in this country. We need to cut the size of this bureaucracy. We need to seal our southern border. We need to make certain that we keep the tax cuts that President Trump put in place in 2017. And in 2025, that is going to be a very active battle on Capitol Hill. We need to make those tax cuts permanent. We need to have somebody at his right hand that understands that Hezbollah and Hamas and the Houthis, these are all uh, proxies for Iran. We need somebody that's going to understand that China is an adversary, that they're not a competitor. And I want President Trump to have the brightest and the best around him helping get this country on the right track awesome stuff go check out marshablackburn.com good luck on the re-elect senator we appreciate you hanging out with us you got it that is senator marsha blackburn um i think she's gonna win i would set it by 20 or 25 points here in tennessee but she'll have a nutcase running against her for sure uh and you know where they just now have added prize picks State of Tennessee, Buck. Uh, they are adding, I believe, tomorrow in my home state of Tennessee, you'll be able to go put your picks in. Um, and I'm going to give you out on Friday another hopeful winner. We're two for two on winners on prize picks. It's a lot of fun. Maybe you're sitting around and you say, you know what my uh, husband's going to be doing? You know what my sons are going to be doing? Uh, you know what my uh, somebody who's not a, a sports fan out there, you might be thinking the NFC and the AFC championship games are this weekend. About seven hours of football coming up on Sunday. And maybe you just want to make it a little bit more fun. Maybe you just want to have some picks. Go get hooked up. Uh, sign up right now, pricepicks.com slash clay. It's really fun. You can go check out all the different options. You can get up to $100 free to match the $100 that you deposit. So you can just play around, make some, uh, make some picks. And be able to watch the NFC Championship game. You got the uh, San Francisco 49ers going up against the Detroit Lions. AFC Championship game, Kansas City Chiefs, Baltimore Ravens. Go get signed up. Trust me on this. Prizepicks.com slash Clay. The picks would have won the last two weeks if you had done exactly what I said. I'll give you my suggestion. Maybe we can make it three weeks in a row. Prizepicks.com slash Clay. Go sign up today. Prizepicks.com slash Clay. Keep up with Clay and Buck's campaign coverage with 24, a Sunday highlight reel from the week. Find it on the free iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. Wanted to play a couple of cuts um, from up in New Hampshire where people are now voting. Granite Staters, I hope you are all out letting your voices be heard, joining the people of Iowa and helping to make decisions on 2024 for many of us out there in terms of who will be on our ballots. Uh, right now, the shift, Nikki Haley and Sununu, the current governor of New Hampshire, have started to attack Donald Trump's mental aptitude. Uh, this is what 
Governor Sununu said yesterday. There's only been three goals here. One was to make sure she got a second place. We got that. Two was to make sure there were only two candidates left in the race, and we're ahead there. She's wiped 12 candidates off. And then she wants to build on that momentum out of Iowa, where she got 20%. She's going to more than double or exceed that here. The last point is their polls. Last time I checked, they're always wrong, right? So you never know. The same poll on the day I got elected governor said I was going to lose by 11, and we won by a couple percent. So... You know, it's all about the voter turnout. It's all about the enthusiasm. Where's the energy? Not just what people say on a phone or how they, you know, respond to an online text or something. It's really about the energy of the campaign. Trump has no energy. The guy can barely read a teleprompter right now. All the wind is behind Nikki Sales. So I just think the sky's the limit. I think Trump can can speak pretty easily and and has pretty good ability to uh, to go off the cuff. So I think that's not really landing. Uh, but Trump responded to uh, attacks on his aptitude by saying oh. he would crush Nikki Haley in and basically an intelligence test. Listen. Well, I think I'm a lot sharper than her. I would do this. I would sit down right now and take an aptitude test and it would be my result against her result. And she's not going to win. She's not going to even come close to winning. Uh, in fact, when I heard the word cognitive, you know, I've taken two of them now. I took one with Doc Ronnie, who's now a fantastic, you know, White House doctor and a fantastic uh, congressman from Texas, Admiral, the White House doctor, Jackson, Ronnie Jackson. And he's uh, now a great congressman from Texas. I took uh, one then and I took one recently. I think the result was announced and it was I aced it twice. I aced it. What do you think, Buck, if we just had. Instead of debates, what if we had Trump v. Biden spelling bee or just like a fifth grade history test? And we just had them go head to head on basic American knowledge that I think would be unbelievable television. I mean, I would a spelling bee between Biden and Trump would be incredible, but I just don't, I don't think that I, the attack on Trump's aptitude works. Yeah, no, that, that's not going to work at all. I just, one thing that's a little side note, but it is interesting to me that the Democrats are generally huge elitists when it comes to education. And they, you know, they even sneer at uh, Amy Coney Barrett, for example, because she went to Notre Dame Law School, which, by the way, is a very good law school and hard to get into. But, you know, it's not Harvard or Yale like a lot of the, or Columbia, which is where most of the Supreme Court justices go. Um, but they're very, uh, you know, very snippy usually about this. You'll notice they never, they never even go near the fact that, you know, D- Donald Trump went to Wharton and Joe Biden was lying about where he was in his class at Syracuse Law School. He was at the bottom of his Syracuse Law School class. So this is why you never hear them really, I think, go after Trump on an education level because Trump is an Ivy Leaguer, and Biden is a guy who, nothing wrong with Syracuse Law School, good school. To be the bottom of your class at Syracuse Law School, though, 50 years ago, it's pretty pretty darn unimpressive. Well, I mean, they went after George W. Bush, and didn't he have a Harvard MBA? Well, he actually had better grades than John Kerry did from Yale, which is what the whole thing was. They were like, George Bush is so dumb, he got some B's and C's, and then they looked at John Kerry and John Kerry got like lots of these. John Kerry's skill is like marrying rich women more than once. Like that's John Kerry's great life skill. It is. It is fascinating who gets attacked for their intelligence and who doesn't. Um, but I again, I I don't think that the cognitive aspect is the way to attack him. If Nikki, if I, if Nikki Haley came to me 
And she said, Clay, I'm willing to burn the ships. I don't think she's willing to. But let's presume that she said, I'm willing to burn the ships. I have decided this is my best chance to ever be elected president. How do I beat Trump? What would you advise me? I would say you go after the fact that he lost in 2020. I'm saying if I was Nikki Haley and you will lose to Joe Biden again in 2024 and you straight up own it and we say you, we can't risk you against Joe Biden again. Because what will change that will lead to you being victorious? And I think you have to hammer him on it. All that That's the only message you hit over and over and over again. The challenge that I think she would run into with that message is, and I'm one of these people, I'm not that worried about electability. Because if Biden were the nominee, then that is Biden's the worst possible nominee. Now, Nikki Haley could potentially pivot and take the step of, Biden's not going to be the nominee. They just want to get you locked in, Donald Trump, and then they want to shift and bring in a better candidate to beat you, and I'll beat any candidate they put forward. You probably will lose to Biden, again, if that were her uh, argument, but you would certainly lose to Michelle Obama or any other rig job candidate they put in. That's the burn the ships argument, and I don't think she's willing to burn the ships, and if she's not willing to burn the ships, she's not going to win. I don't think she's going to win no matter what, but you have to be willing to say, this is it, we're winning this year. I don't know that Nikki Haley in 2028 would ever find herself again in a mono-a-mono case race for president. Because I think in 2028, there'll be 25 people running. And I think it'll be very hard uh, to win that nomination. I don't think somebody's going to run away with it like has happened this year. So... That that's that would be my advice if she said to me, "How do I win this race?" I think you have to say Trump's a loser and he'll lose again. Have we ever talked about how Hernan Cortez didn't actually burn his ships? By the way, have we had that discussion. It's such a good metaphor that you have to use it no matter well, what. I, yeah, it, it's it's too good to, it's too good to change. Yeah. He scuttled his ships. He didn't actually burn them. But burning is a much better. If you're looking for the metaphor, burning is much more visceral. It's much more you know you know another thing. You know, yeah, nowhere else actually, to go. You know, lemmings don't actually commit suicide, right? But yeah, it's too you useful. Told them it. Yeah, too useful. They made a Disney a Disney movie back in the fifties, a documentary. They actually got an Oscar, and they basically it's really mean. They they got all the lemmings together, they pushed them off a cliff on video. They don't commit suicide. That's insane. That yeah, wouldn't go. It wouldn't go very well in uh, modern would day. Peta, no, they would oh, not yeah. be very never happy about that anymore. And they're actually kind of cute. So it was it was really a shame. There's other there's other ones too where it's like it doesn't. No one cares that the story. Isn't actually, it's just too good of a story. A little bit like some of the quotes out there, like Ron got hit for using a Churchill quote about, you know, uh, something is, it's never final or defeat is never final. There are so many good Churchill, Voltaire and Shakespeare quotes online that are fake. It's really a shame because they're great same, quotes, but they're same fake. thing, by the way, Robert E. Lee. I think one of the most famous quotes that you'll ever see from, uh, Robert E. Lee is duty. I think I'm, I'm paraphrasing if I mess it up a little bit, but duty is the sublimest word in the English language. You'll see that quote attributed to Robert E. Lee all over the place. There are people who are civil war, uh, aficionados, right? Who collect all the different paraphernalia and everything else. They'll have like a picture of Robert E. Lee with that quote underneath it. He never said it. But somehow duty is the sublimest word in the English language became attributed to Robert E. Lee. I don't even know where it came from initially. Yeah. And there's some great Alexis de Tocqueville stuff, except didn't, didn't write it, didn't do it. You know, you go through Voltaire, some great Voltaire stuff. If you want people to pay attention to your fake quote, just put Voltaire under it because the guy was quite clever.
Um, and if you want to be able to operate on full steam to the very end, uh, like Donald Trump, for example, where this guy, Clay and I were hanging out at the Mar-a-Lago recently. He just finished golf. He, he rolls off the golf course, sits down, chills out with us for over an hour, does a great interview on radio. He sends us vanilla milkshakes. He's high-fiving. You want that kind of energy drive and, and stamina? You got to have the right stuff in your body, the right biochemistry. That's where chalk comes in, my friends. Having energy, stamina, and drive is something you need, period. And most people don't feel like they have enough of it these days because energy in a guy's body comes from healthy testosterone levels. It's a hormone that the body manufactures, but when there's not enough of it, Clay, what happens? You start watching MSNBC. You start changing around. uh, Oh, Clay can't hear me, I was going to say. Otherwise, I'm listening. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, if you don't have enough testosterone, you start watching MSNBC and crying a lot. It's not good. <laughs> I, I Maybe I need more testosterone. I was crying during the, uh, during, I almost said the view, God forbid, uh, crying during the crown. Uh, I don't know. I thought about it myself. No, it's very, the cinematography is exceptional. I can't, I can't hit you on that. Carrie's Princess Di died. It was tough, Buck. It was Actually, really you know, tough. we found out, I guess both of us need more chalk. The male vitality stack. It's a set of supplements made for guys who want more energy. Leading ingredient has been proven in studies to replenish diminished amounts of testosterone by up to 20% in three months' time. You'll feel that change long before the three months' time, though, so you really want to make this a part of your daily regimen. Get set up, get hooked up today. Find everyone, uh, uh, find every one, rather, of Chalk's energy-building products online at chalk.com. It's easy to find. C-H-O-Q.com is that website. C-H-O-Q.com. You definitely want to try the male vitality stack, but also I got to tell you, Chad mode, producer Ali's husband loves the Chad mode. I love the Chad mode. This stuff is a pre-workout that, you know, I clay, I ripped through 5,000 words of writing over the weekend. Thank you, Chad mode. 5,000 words. I was Gerard, uh, Ali's, uh, husband. She is, she says he demands it now for all of his workouts as well. Yeah. Yeah. So Chad mode's amazing. Go to chalkchoq.com. Promo code BUCK, that's critical because you want to get a 35% discount. So here are the steps to get more oomph, more energy, more drive, more focus in your day-to-day. Go to the website, chalkchoq.com, get yourself the male vitality stack, get yourself Chad Mode, and use promo code BUCK for 35% off the subscription you choose for life. Clay and Buck, 24-7. Subscribe today. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. 
People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.